0: So Dave, I think you need to do a snazzy intro like, hey, this is Dave Pryor with uh, Leading Agile Sound Notes. Ask Mike Edition live. I think, you should, I think people should hear you say that.
1: All right. Are you ready? We're ready, now. Let's do it. Good morning. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes, our first ever live experiment here on the Facebook where you've all joined us. We want to thank you for taking time out of your day. We've all got fresh coffee. I'm the only one without 30 guitars behind me. But Mike Kottmeier and Tim Zacher here. Tim's not going to talk a whole lot, but Mike is. So, Mike, thank you for yes. taking time out of your morning.
0: Happy to do it, man. I'm glad to be here. Was the intro
1: acceptable?
0: No, I think it was excellent. You always do a fantastic job. <laughs> thank it, you. So, yeah. The rest of this
1: could be a total disaster, but... see what happens so thanks for the folks that are that are participating and if you watch this later thank you for watching it later um this we're going to try to do some live podcasts to get questions and stuff from folks that are that want to send them in early or that are participating so if you're a participant now you can post a question into chat and we might be able to talk about that we did ask
0: questions we actually got some questions in advance didn't
1: we yes and that's what i was about to get into so we got some in advance and there's one that we were going to try to focus on for today is sort of kind of framing things up.
0: A conversation it, starter, if you will, right? Yes.
1: Yes. And it, it was a big question. So we're going to try to kind of slim it down a little bit. But the gist of it. you not going
0: to read us the question, are you? No. Okay, good.
1: I never thought these stories were true, but okay. Um, okay. This person works at a large organization, like a couple thousand people. and. Okay. They describe themselves as being the upper left quadrants. This is somebody that obviously is a little bit familiar with quadrants. So yeah, the emergent,
0: stuff,
1: yeah. emergent, convergent. Um, and they want to move towards agility. They've started to make some steps, but they're really struggling with figuring out where to start. They have lots of dependencies, lots of red tape. Um, there are, there's still a culture where people like the hero, the person that stays up all night and saves the day yeah. is a big deal. They don't have cross-functional teams. So when I was reading through the, through all this, the thing that I was kind of getting to is like, what is for you, what is like the MVP or the MM, whatever you want to call it, the minimum, what's the bare minimum that an organization can do, whether they're fit or not for transformation, like what's the very first toe in the pool that has to happen.
0: Yeah. So, so the interesting thing, right? So, and I I just be really transparent with everybody, everybody who's joining us, right? I mean, hopefully you guys, if you guys are here, hey Daniel, how you doing? Um, uh, If, if you're here, you're, you're probably familiar with our stuff a little bit. And the, the way that I, the way that I kind of frame this in my head is that there's kind of two dimensions that we're operating on. There's the dimension of, what are we trying to do within the organization, right? So, like, what is the what is the approach, and what's the reference architecture, what's the destination, right? All that kind of stuff. But then there's also kind of how do you get buy-in to the change model, okay? And we've learned a lot of this stuff the hard way. We're about eight years old as a consultancy, and you know, there's things that we're doing now that we didn't do a while ago. And the the way that the way that we try to do this, it's like you know i guess i'm going to try to make sure we're anchoring within the context of the question but it's like what is the, the minimally viable implementation Oh, no, there you go that's it, a whole new it, acronym it comes back to it comes back to me to teams backlogs working tested software right so that's that's the standard right we have to have complete cross functional teams we have to have teams that can operate off of a backlog we have to have teams that can produce a working tested increment over a period of time and the the way that you get there is you have to like you have to start building a mental model within the organization to to help you build consensus to um, to try to get people to do it with you, and so like what we've done like what we do with clients is like we'll host a workshop and we'll walk through. Um, Structure governance metrics teams backlogs working tested software. What are the dependencies that are in place? What do we need to do to manage the dependencies now? Um, What dependencies do we want to break over time? Um, Once we break them, what kinds of management controls can we begin to deprecate? And so what you've got to do somehow is you've got to build a shared mental model with the key people in the organization about what does the end state look like and how are we going to incrementally get there over time? And then, so like for us, like we'll run a workshop with a bunch of leaders and then we'll go through and we'll do some sort of discovery where we engage folks in a, in a more deep, meaningful way. And then, then we wanna get a piece of the organization to a pilot and a pilot for us, it's like an expedition moving to a base camp. So it's the delivery teams, it's the program teams, it's the portfolio teams, It's um, an instantiation of the basic governance model. It's getting the metrics and controls and the tooling in, but for a subset of the organization. So we wanna figure out what that slice is, and then we wanna move that slice to a well-defined base camp. And so that slice to the well-defined base camp, the expedition to the base camp, is the minimally viable implementation. It's not as agile as we want it to be, but it's probably as agile as we can be in the presence of dependencies and organizational constraints. Does that make sense? So I wanna, can I ask a question about yeah, this? Yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna play the, the part of like one of my- That's what you're, that's what you're here for is to ask Yes,
1: yeah. I'm here to ask stupid questions. Um, but this was actually a question that was sent to me wow. by somebody else who works at our organization who was asking for somebody else as well, a friend. Um, so all that stuff you just said is, is our approach but let's say that I'm a scrum master and I'm in a company, whether it's 50 people or a thousand people and I want to do this and there's all the dependencies and the bureaucracy and the culture of fear and all the other stuff. How do I, I mean, I can't do a workshop by myself. I don't have the sign off ability to bring leading agile and to run a bunch of workshops. What's like the, what do I do?
0: So, so, so here's, here's the risk, right? So I'll, I'll share the risk and then I'll, then I'll talk about what you do. Right. So, So the challenge that I think a lot of people that are probably dialed in here have is that they are embedded deeply into an organization. and They don't have influence at the executive level to try to get this, this mental model kind of propagated out across the whole thing. The risk is, is that you create local optimization within your enterprise. Okay. And so, so what I'm getting ready to say is, is, um, there's potential again, just for it to be, um, you know, we make it better within our little bit, but it doesn't make it better in the whole.
1: And that's what you mean by local optimization. local optimization. On my team, this works.
0: Yeah, like, like it's like it's great. It's great for us. It's great for our team. It doesn't necessarily improve overall delivery, right? Which right. is the ultimate is the ultimate litmus test for the stuff at scale. So, you know, so it goes back to right. So if I'm a Scrum Master, um, you know, there's three different aspects that you have to attend to, right? You have to attend to the ecosystem that the team operates in. You have to attend to how the team operates and then you have to attend to um, the outcomes that the team gets. So if you are a Scrum Master and you you want to help that team be successful, the first thing that I would attend to is the ecosystem. And so teams backlogs, working tested software, right? It always comes back down to that. So does your team have everyone and everything necessary in order to be able to deliver the work? Um, is the product owner able to create a backlog that the team can operate off of that meets the criteria? Um, is the team able to produce a working tested increment at the end of every sprint? If if they can't, then, then that forms your impediment list, okay? That those are the impediments um, that are getting in the way of you being able to do scrum. Okay. Now, so let's, let's hold that thought for just a minute.
1: I want to, I want to come back to this. Specific okay. So, thing.
0: so just, yeah, hold the thought for just a minute. Okay. And then, and then the practices within the team you have, right? So how you run sprint planning, um, how you do daily standups, how you do reviews and retrospectives, um how you do burn down charts how you do release planning right all the different things that you're going to do within that ecosystem are going to enable the performance of the team but they're also going to brutally expose the impediments that the team is encountering Right. So one of the challenges that I see, like when we go in and into an organization, often there are scrum masters or coaches there on the ground. And with the, the, the they're operating within their local ecosystem. Okay. And they see all of these dependencies that are around them in, in organizational dysfunctions that are that are beyond their control. Okay. Okay. Now what you've got to do, right? And so the 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 um the tendency is to go inward and to go, well, you know what, I can't fix this, I can't fix this, I can't fix this, so therefore I'm just gonna get better at doing Scrum. We're gonna run retrospectives better, we're gonna run daily stand-ups better, we're gonna do sprint planning better, we're gonna do all these different things better. Okay. But it doesn't actually remove the impediments. Sure. Okay? So, so I think the Scrum Master has to recognize that going inward into the process isn't going to actually improve it. What they've gotta do is they've gotta go be a champion outward. And, you know, and, it, and it, this is a daisy game. And so I want to be really real with everybody on the phone. Right, a big part of the reason. So if you look at my history. Um, I was doing agile coaching and scrum mastering and project management candidly with a company called check free um, Prior to um, their acquisition by Serve, but also prior to my time at version one and pillar and starting leading agile ultimately and one of the things that that that, that I would try to resolve was the cognitive dissonance between what the organization was asking me to do and deliver versus kind of the dysfunction around me. And so in order to be a truly effective Scrum Master, you're going to have to be brave. You're going to have to understand the, those organizational impediments and you're gonna to have to work with your leadership outside of your immediate team to help to try to remove those impediments because it's only through improving the ecosystem that any of this stuff's going to get you better. It's like just getting better at the practices of Scrum. Scrum's only useful to the extent that it shows you your impediments and you can remove them. And the fascinating thing is that, you know, and this is something you see in practice and I don't mean to make light of it, but like if you're operating in a broken team and you're a Scrum master or a coach within a broken team and you focus internally, you might be focusing on conflict within the team or how the team does planning or maybe how the team's collaborating or how the team's doing all these things, right? And, and that, that's all valid stuff to focus on. But if the team's operating in a fundamentally broken ecosystem, the challenge becomes is that, is that no matter how good you get at the team level, it's not actually going to improve delivery. So you gotta, you've gotta be outwardly focused on the impediments that are getting in the way of the team's performance.
1: And, and people might also choose to find another environment. I mean, that was something that I had to do at one of the companies I was at when I got to that state where I'm not advocating anybody quit, but yeah. to, do it, to do this stuff, I had to go work at some place that could do it.
0: Yeah. Well, well so, so therein lies the challenge, right? It's like, so, so you, you might find yourself in a place where the, the weight of the organization around you is such that you can't be happy. Yeah. Okay. And then sure. Right. If you want to be a scrum master, then go find some place that is doing scrum more effectively and able to do that. Right. But I, but, but scrum isn't designed to get scrum masters to quit and go find better fields. Right. Right. Scrum is designed to improve the organization. Okay. And, And so, so I guess what I'm suggesting is that for the scrum master at that local level, The impediments that you're facing are not often inward-focused impediments; they're outward-focused impediments, and you have to be brave. And what you'll find, and the reason why I went down the path of like when I was at you know back in some of my earlier career things, you know, I kind of I kind of neutered myself organizationally, or at least presented my prevented me from being able to to really advance into. But it's I had to be brave, and I had to kind of work with the organization to knock down those impediments, and sometimes you know, that's not the, you know, again, I'd say sometimes that'll work against you in your career. If well, that's
1: why it's easy to have so, an ex- better yeah. to have an external coach because you can throw them at the problem and then let them be at risk.
0: Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, I don't want to be totally self-serving here in this conversation, but, but yeah, I mean, that's part of how we get hired in is, is like to come in to kind of break some stuff and to, to make some change that the permanent employees and the folks that have to live there for a long time. So they don't have to expose themselves that way for sure.
1: Yeah. Can we go back to the impediments in the organization? Yeah. Okay. So when you started to kind of explain the answer you had a few minutes ago, you were talking about trying to do this stuff and how it's going to surface organizational impediments. Like you can get it working on your team, but it's going to show you all this other stuff in the ecosystem and the ecosystem's not right. So part of what you're going to have to do, I'm assuming, and this is going to take me a second to ask this question, um, is to help leadership understand like this is messed up. I I'm, I'm, was talking to a company last week, a, a smaller company, mm-hmm. 50 people to design work. Um, trying to do Scrum doesn't work, right? They don't have cross-functional teams. They, they, they barely have dedicated teams. They, ha, they have like, everybody's working on like 17 projects at once. Yeah. My suggestion was, okay, well, you, you know that there's rough spots in Scrum, so why don't you use Kanban and like map out your entire workflow and let that show you these are the specific points where stuff's broke. Yeah. And then maybe take pieces of Agile. Maybe don't forget about Scrum. Just yeah. pick like one or two tools and try to solve specific problems using Agile practices. I mean, how yeah. do you feel I about
0: mean, absolutely that? an approach, right? So one of the things, one of the things about um, you know, I don't know that I'd consider myself like a deep Kanban expert. I mean, we use it quite a bit at program portfolio levels, and clearly have some some understanding of it. But um, I wouldn't consider myself like a like a David Anderson you know, master's Kanban guy, right? So the 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 way that I understand Kanban, the way that it gets positioned in market a lot is evolutionary change. And so so like, let's say for example, that you had strict functional silos within your organization. You could absolutely, um, you know, model that system into a Kanban and you could start tracking the work through the Kanban and you could yeah. recognize that, batch size was too big and you had too much work in process and you had bottlenecks and constraints in different places and right, all that kind of stuff. And, and you could, you could model it that way. And then you could work the process and you could go through and you could explain that stuff to people and then start to tweak the system over time to make those evolutionary improvements. By all means, you could do that. Okay. Um, And maybe that's all you can do right in your situation what okay. i believe and what i talk about in like the executives guide talk is is 80 to 90% of the dys- dysfunctions in any given organization we absolutely understand
1: we know Right. Right. Because they're very they're very common, very similar across. Absolutely.
0: Right. I mean, and we've I've had the you know, it's been a real blessing um, over the years. You know, as a version one, I probably got to work with 200 different companies. We did a count on the number of different organizations that leading agile supported over the last eight years. And it's like 250. So we're pushing 500 companies that we've directly or indirectly touched. And you go across those 500 companies and all the problems are the same. They're for the same fundamental reasons. They get expressed differently based yeah. upon the market and the domain and the people and all that kind of stuff, but the root causes of all the problems are fundamentally the same. And so, and so, what you have a choice, right? So if you're operating at that lower level, you can say, you know, hey, again, model it, evolutionary change, right, all that kind of stuff, but it's gonna be slow, it's gonna be painful. The The kinds of changes that you wanna make, you risk it being a local optimization. Are you so, risk people around you not wanting to improve, but you know, like, I, so apologize, but it's like you go into like even Kanban, right? You know, batch size is too big and you know that you'll increase throughput if you reduce it. But, um, but you know, it's going to
1: be slow and painful and you might know batch size is too big or the yeah. way that we have our sign off structure with the clients is yeah. a problem or whatever. Yeah. But being able to show uh, to me, the, the visualization of that and being able to show like the drag in a cycle time or whatever. Yeah put that up on the wall and force people to look at it is different than me saying, yeah, I know I shouldn't eat Fritos
0: because yeah, they're bad for me. Right. So, so it always you always want to come back to- I
1: didn't even mean to do that. Getting, I
0: totally did not mean to do that. It just went get it that, start
1: that start way. Sorry.
0: Before you look <laughs>
1: um, so, so yeah. right. I know so, I should not but, drink Four loco in the morning, but, so it, you know, it, things it, are, are going to happen.
0: Point that At the point that that's all you can do. Like, I mean, I've been in situations before coaching teams where- where you just get to the point where it's like, you can't get the demand management patterns under control. There's okay. so much technical debt and defects. There's so much like organizational dysfunctions and dependencies. And so, so absolutely, if you wanna use the tools in Kanban or you wanna use the tools in Scrum and be really structured and disciplined and understand um, and build models to expose that, that dysfunction, and to be able to communicate it out into the organization in a data driven way. Okay. Absolutely, right? But to me, it's like, it's like that's almost like the like I like I'm I'm not that patient, I guess, is what it pulls okay. down. Okay. Well, like, yeah, oh, because I, be well. I mean oh, you're guys. coming in, you're
1: coming in as somebody who has the experience you can see this stuff. I'm thinking from the perspective of somebody who doesn't have the opportunity yeah. to bring in a coach that has to educate management and say, look, this is the jacked up thing here.
0: Yeah. Um, So, but here's, here's the challenge, right? In those situations, a lot of times when I've gotten to that point, and that's what I'm guiding a team to do, what I'm basically doing is is I'm guiding the team to like, let's do this in such a way to where at least we're being intellectually honest with ourselves and we're not going through the motions of scrum and thinking it's going to be some sort of panacea. Sure. So let's just talk about, let's be really real about the dysfunction that we've got. Let's be really real about our impediments, be really real about our dependencies. Let's model it in such a way and let's start using the data to start trying to create local improvements, right? Okay. Again, that's like a last ditch effort for the sanity of the team. Yeah. Because usually when the organization is kind of that broken and that messed up, right, it's 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 hard for the team to take that data up. Yeah. If because the problems that the management team is dealing with at that point probably are not unique to that individual team. And, and they're right. not interested necessarily in fixing that individual team. Like you walk into organizations and there's like, there's literally 10 times more stuff to do than could possibly ever be done. In the right. And there's contracts signed and there's commitments made and there's executives with their jobs on the line and right, all this kind of stuff and when you're that unloaded, when, uh, overloaded, when the system is that out of balance, yeah. right, that chaos gets moved all the way down into the lower part of the organization. Like okay. I'll, I'll give you like a perfect example. So well, like, this
1: guy with the 4,000 people in his company is a perfect example. Well,
0: well, the example that I was gonna give you, right? The example that I was gonna give you was like early on, um, there was an organization here in Atlanta that, that I was coaching. Um, and it was only like four teams that we were working with. And like at the time, you know, what I b- was brought in to do and the agency that I had within that organization was to help get the scrum teams performant. Well, so we were able to get the scrum teams performant pretty well, but, you know, as soon as you get the scrum teams performant, you start nice. the backlog, yeah. right? So now you starve the backlog and you go, well, okay, where is the organization going to get more backlog? Well, so we could say, okay, well, that's the product owner, but well, sometimes you get the product owner fixed and you start, you starve the strategy queue. So where do I get more strategy? Well, then you start to realize that, that the organization doesn't have a really clear point of view on where it wants to take things. Right. And then you get into this situation where there's, um, there's, um, you know, it's like the, the organization has been so dysfunctional from a delivery perspective so long that it hasn't forced the issue up into the strategy side to force them to make decisions. They've been able to blame the lack of strategy on the delivery because the delivery guys can't get anything done. We get right. the delivery side and then you can't you can't blame it that way
1: anymore. It's like an episode of House.
0: Yeah, well, so sometimes, I never watched that show, so I don't get the oh, reference. Right. But, um, but like, so part of the challenge becomes, it's like sometimes like we walk in and we're doing like an expedition and, for, and by our definition, an expedition is a vertical slice, um, team level, um, program, portfolio, all metrics and tools, right? All that kind of stuff. Yeah. Sometimes it makes sense to deal with the 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 demand side right the the governance side and to get some of the demand side rationalized first so that we can start before we get the um we get the capacity side um performant right because we know it's going to starve like if you can do an initial assessment you know where the the starvation pattern is going to come from
1: sure
0: and and then you can decide how to do the transformation um based upon like what you're seeing in the actual organization okay yeah so it's interesting right it is but if i'm that
1: guy in the four thousand person company yeah i'm still going back to the, like w- i have one band-aid and i'm cut in 19 places where do i put the band-aid
0: well so well so here's the deal right so 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 what you're trying to force me into and i'm gonna i'm gonna poke at you here a little bit is <laughs> Well, to answer an impossible question, right? If you've got 19 well, cuts- Hold on, impossible, but question cuts, that most of these people probably have. Well, it, it, but, but here's the challenge, right? It, it's still impossible just because a lot of people have it doesn't mean that it's, that it's a solvable problem. If you've got 19 cuts and you've got one Band-Aid, yeah. then put your Band-Aid on the yeah. thing that's bleeding the most. Right. Okay. It so, mean so not going to die. It doesn't right. mean not going to bleed out. It's just you don't have 19 band-aids, right? So, so well, not it's not impossible. You can keep yourself alive. Well, maybe, maybe. So it's like it's like what do you do? Like so, so this is like what I mean by impossible questions, right? So what do you do if your product owner will never work with the team and doesn't know how to write a backlog item and refuses to build the backlog? Right. How yeah. do I do Scrum?
1: I, I know a place that has this exact problem but the, but the challenge is, is you don't well they've right? got the team's
0: writing user stories and creating back on oh, but, but uh, okay, so but is that still scrum oh is no, scrum at that point no right, well and and here lies the problem, right But so does it
1: matter it, if they're doing scrum or not
0: well, but here's the kicker right so if if you were on that team, yeah right, if you were on that team and yeah. You double down, getting back to the thing I was talking about before, you double down on like, we're gonna do scrum, right? We're gonna do scrum awesome. And, <laughs> uh, you, and you recognize that the impediment is yeah. I don't have an ability to build backlog. Right. Right. And and now you ask the question: well, my product owner won't do this, my product owner won't do that, my product. How do I do scrum successfully in the absence of the ability to build backlog? Right. The question is you don't, but the answer is you don't
1: and does that matter
0: right. i can well well but i can because they all
1: have the guilt of not doing scrum right
0: okay so okay so sure okay <laughs> i am trying <laughs> to push you yeah certain... no, i want to so see if i can do it challenge become right so this is what so this for all the rest of you guys the 16 people that are in the call here at this point this is the this is what behind the scenes of the podcast is and dave and i edit some of this stuff out sometimes and and these are the debates that we have internally because because it doesn't matter. This is why I refuse to write a blog post on how do you do a better daily standup? It doesn't matter. How do you do better retrospectives? It doesn't matter. Right. Like it doesn't matter. Right. And this is why I talk about the three things all the time is because the only thing that matters is can that team get a good backlog? Can that team deliver something of working tested value at the end of the sprint?
1: Can you get right? the business the outcome you're looking for? Yeah.
0: And if, and if and answered, and this is what, this is what everybody needs to know. It's like, Sure, you can do Scrum better. And so if you say, well, how do I do Scrum in the absence of the ability to get a prioritized backlog? Well, you can get better at daily stand-ups. You can get better reviews and retrospectives. You can get better at um, burning down a list of technical tasks. You can get better at doing um, delivery to yourself at the end of every sprint, right? You can get better at all that stuff. But here's the problem, right? This is the problem with Scrum right now is we've got a lot of people that are that are getting better at doing that stuff. One of the most common entry point phone calls we get is I'm doing scrum awesome, but I'm not getting results from it. Like how in then the, I have to scale. How in the world can no, not even <laughs> in scale in a team. Like like how in the world can you be doing scrum great and say you're doing scrum great if you can't actually get business benefit from it. Right. Well, you can't, right? And that's the problem that we're seeing with SAFE right now too. I'm going through the motions of doing SAFE really, really well, but it's not actually getting me what I need from a business perspective. Well, why not? Well, because like, and so at the end of the day, right, if you're that scrum master on that team, it's like, I'm like, fine, fight the good fight, right? Get really good at doing scrum, get really good at doing metrics, use Kanban right? Expose the data, do the responsible thing, right? Um, Like back in the PMP days, you know, there was like this code of ethics that we had to sign. And it was like, it's like you tell the truth and you don't hide data and all those things, right? So, so gather the data, get the data, tell the organization the truth, work with the organization to be high integrity. Absolutely. Right. Right. But also don't fool yourself into thinking that doubling down on on how to do Scrum better in the absence of being able to remove that impediment is actually going to fix anything for you.
1: Yeah, so th- I, I was trying to see if I could get you to be like, no, you have to do Scrum better or or not, but it, well, doesn't, it matter. doesn't matter the, pro, the it's it's yeah. the outcome you're looking for not whether or not you're doing the thing like the process right and I think that is the thing well, well
0: that's the key right and, and we'll so that's like, from the very from the very earliest days when I really started because like if you look at like the trajectory of the things that I've talked about in market like early on it was very practices focused. it was about communicating agile to project managers right it was all about translation of tools and techniques and then, like there was like this middle piece that I was talking about that was around failure modes. Because what I was conceptually struggling with was, no matter how good I get at all these tools and techniques, if I don't fundamentally understand the 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 ecosystem that has to be built in order for those tools and techniques to be relevant, then right. I'm just then I'm just um, I'm going through the motions, right? That's where the cargo cult Scrum stuff comes in.
1: But and people then, think that that's. I mean, yeah. I met all these people last week at the Digital PM conference that were all worried because they were doing it wrong. I mean, that's, it seems to me like that's what the masses are worried about is whether or not they're doing agile right. They forget well, about why they're well, doing
0: agile. In the first well, time. So, well, so here's the thing, right? So this might actually get into a good segue into your, to your post-modernism question. <laughs> yeah, that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, so, so here's the challenge, right? And so I wrote a post a couple years ago, and it was about that emperor's, the emperor has no clothes kind of a thing. Where it's like we're running around saying if, if, if you would just do Scrum the right way, then right. everything would work. And if, if things aren't working, then you must not be doing Scrum the right way. Right. And, and it's like what you said. There's a lot of guilt. There's a lot of, And so, like, what I run around doing is I'm just talking about, look, if, if Scrum, Scrum was designed, right? You go back into Schwaber and Sutherland's early work. You go into the Scrum Guide right? There is a structure that is implicit in Scrum, Mm -hmm. complete cross-functional teams, product owner that can build a backlog, able to get to a working tested increment at the end of every sprint. If you go back to the manifesto in 2001 and you look at all the different methodologies that were represented in that room and the values and principles that they came out of that room with, right? The thing that got lost in that translation was there was fundamentally an ecosystem, they would talk about co-location. Alistair Coburn wrote about osmotic communication, um, the nature of the relationship with the customer, the ability to respond to new information, right? All of this stuff was, was assumed right. in the methodology. So Scrum or Extreme Programming or Crystal Clear or any of these other things, what was assumed underneath the instantiation of the methodology was the ecosystem that that methodology was intended to operate within. Sure. Okay. And the problem is, and, and this is where I think like certifications helped us and certification has hurt us because, because certification has created a tremendous amount of awareness and it's helped us move the needle as an industry. But what it's also done is it's also turned this, this rich relationship between ecosystem and process and outcome into process. Okay. And if you do this process, then the ecosystem will emerge and the outcomes will magically happen, okay? And that it doesn't always work that way, okay? It can work that way. I'm not saying it's impossible for it to work that way, but it doesn't always work that way. And so to your point, we now have a, um, a groundswell of people that are educated on process and are absolutely powerless to create the right ecosystem and therefore can't achieve the outcomes. right. And that's not the fault of the process, and it's not the fault of it's not the fault of anybody. It just is what it is. Yeah. And so you and I talked at our last podcast about this idea of what's post Agile. Well, they we well, haven't we, heard this is, podcast well, yet. There is, there hasn't is been nothing. There is nothing post Agile, in my opinion. Uh, hold like,
1: on one second. Hold on one second, because they, so yeah. um, they haven't heard that podcast yet. I'm getting on that. It has. I know you're, and I'm glad. They haven't heard that podcast yet because we haven't released it yet. But oh, we haven't
0: released it. Oh, okay. No. It was
1: supposed to go today, but we're doing this instead. So for the folks listening, there's been um, some conversations recently um, about post-Agile. And and I was asking Mike what that was. And when I've looked it up, all I can find is a bunch of articles that say like, oh, screw it. Just do whatever you want. Yeah. And I was kind of coming at it from this postmodern idea where it's just pieces. And you can take them out of context if you need to and use stuff you want and discard the rest but that's also what I teach people not to do in my classes. So um, I'm just curious what, if you think there is such a thing as post agile and what it would actually mean.
0: Well, so the reason why I think that this post agile stuff is is coming around is because, you know, and we're, yeah. So I almost wish like we could have like made it like pre-reading in order for everybody. So we'll go over some of the ground that, um, that we talked about on that podcast. So So in the absence of like deep understanding about why this stuff works. Okay. We have, we've, we're training people on the practices and there's a belief that basically says, if I do these practices, then ecosystem will emerge and I'll get the outcomes that I want. Right. So just double down on the practices, get really good at the practices and and life is fine. Well, the reality is, is that doesn't happen. And so we have people that don't fundamentally understand like, um, what's necessary in the ecosystem or how to get there or whatever. And they're doubling down on the practices and they're using scrum like a weapon and they're using it as a way to bully people. And and if, if the only thing you've got is a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail. Okay. And so, and so we've got a lot of organizations that are doubling down on scrum and trying to get it right and by the book. And people are like, but the, but the ecosystem isn't changed and they're not getting the results out of it that they want. Right, and so they go. Well, agile doesn't work. Well, of course, agile works. Right? There to me, the whether iterative and incremental delivery, team based delivery, um, um, encapsulation and orchestration, right? All that stuff, like all that stuff, just works. Right? Yeah. To me, It's inarguable that it works, but
1: they've not been able to make
0: it work. Well, well, okay, but but here's the thing, right? But it's like this is the reason why I talk about the things that I talk about. It's that it's it's. It's, we're only teaching one aspect of it in the industry. And, and I think it's driven by certification. It's like, it's like if, if all we're teaching people are the practices Mm -hmm. and we're not teaching people how to fundamentally change the ecosystems, Right. The sun just came in through the window, so like half my face is gonna be lit up um, for a little bit. So it's apologize. Um, it's a problem of doing this in my home office instead of in a studio or something, so I can't control my environment so well. But anyway, so um, but yeah, if you need so a that, guitar, you're totally set. We could absolutely <laughs> <laughs> could play some songs before the end of the podcast is over, right? So so this is what this is what this is what I've taken as my personal mission. In the industry is to do is to educate people that the ecosystem and the practices and the expected outcomes have to be in alignment yeah okay and what we're doing and the reason why people are getting fed up with agile and they're getting fed up with scrum is because they're they're learning a set of practices that when applied in a ecosystem that is incongruent with those practices doesn't work okay and it's not that the practices are broken and it's not that the company's broken. It's just that the two are incongruent, okay? So yeah. you have a choice at any point in time. You can pick whatever methodology you want. I don't care whether you do Scrum or Safe or XP or Crystal or Less or feature-driven development. You can do DSDM for all I care. Don't care, okay? You do okay. Waterfall right, for all I care, right? Whatever works for you, just make sure that the process that you choose is congruent because if it's incongruent, you either have one of two choices. You have to change the, the ecosystem to accommodate the process or you have right. to change the process to accommodate the ecosystem. Right. What's, what was interesting, right? And so probably where some of this stuff comes from, if you look at like the PMP world and you look at the traditional SDLC and waterfall world, right? It basically just assumes the organization to be whatever the organization is. Right? Yep. Organizations and functional silos. Map it out. Function, right, yep. whatever. Yep, just map it out, build your Gantt chart, understand your dependencies, right? Put your assets, right. right? All this kind of stuff. Um, uh, this is a total aside, but I was in um, Maui, Hawaii last week at a, um, yeah, it didn't suck, right? It was at a conference though, right? So I was kind of working. Uh, lots of downtime though. And by the way, Maui is absolutely beautiful. It was awesome being there. It was almost like a retreat. But um, one of the talks on the first day was from a lady who worked for the Department of Defense. And she was, what she was really doing was talking about systems thinking. And this isn't a technical, okay? but this was kind of a technical talk within a, a pretty much non-technical conference. And so she's talking about systems thinking, and she was using examples of like loops and interacting of loops and things. And somebody said something to the effect of like, well, what do you do when there's 500 loops, right? And I'm like, I'm like, there's no way that any one human being is going to be able to model the interaction of 500 loops, right? That's just work. So, right. so like. At some point in time, if that's your world, like, don't expect a whole lot of predictability out of it. Right? That's an impossible problem to solve. The only way that you can, I believe, bring congruence to that is to simplify the system that you're operating in, okay? And Scrum necessitates that we simplify the system that we're operating in into a cross-functional team that has domain ownership, that has ownership over their technology component, they're operating from the, the the playbook of a single product owner, able to produce something that product owner can sign off on at the end of the sprint. Okay. And if you can't create that ecosystem, right, then you have, then you could maybe do safe, right? So what safe is doing is it's saying, okay, well, we, we know that maybe any one given Scrum team is either not there or insufficient, right? So there's there's all these other players in the ecosystem. And so yeah. we're gonna put a process around all these other players. Okay, so regardless of what you think of SAFE, right, what SAFE is it's a response to the inability to encapsulate delivery within the context of a single team. So what SAFE's trying to do is to encapsulate delivery around the context of a value stream. Okay, Okay. delivering a PI. So okay. when I think of, when I think of um, SAFE, I think of like Scrum at scale, but at the value stream level. Right. At some point in time, though, even if you're going to do safe, you have to have the ability to encapsulate a value stream, right? Okay. And anything that isn't encapsulated within a team has to be orchestrated, right? And that's where you get into um, different coordination mechanisms and different larger things at scale. Okay. Yeah, it's just it's just fascinating, right? So it's like it, it has to be congruent. and And so like if you're legit in a situation and you've just thrown up your hands and you say, well you know, I am going to, I can't fix anything in my organization. You can, you can go inward, do the yeah. best you can do and be super transparent and honest about the data and just tell the truth to everybody all the time and work with the people around you to solve whatever problems you can solve. Just start knocking out impediments however you can. Sure. That's awesome, right? Just be real about the promises that you make because what people are going to start to do is they're going to start to feel like scrum doesn't work. Well, this is maybe, the most agile stuff comes in. So
1: yeah, or or they feel like they're bad at doing agile. But I guess I mean maybe that's it. It's just sort of letting go of the idea of having to do anything right and just what other what tool can fix this problem that I see right in front of me? If so, I've got five hundred loops, how do I let go of that compelling yes. need for predictability?
0: So I'm gonna back I'm gonna back it out, right? It's like <laughs> It, it, it's like, if you are operating from the mental model that says, if I get Scrum perfect, then I, I will achieve the results. So yeah. if I'm not achieving the results, then it's because I don't have Scrum perfect. So, so like, I don't live in a world of guilt and beat myself up, right? I just like, I don't know if it's being an entrepreneur or if it's how I'm wired, but it's like, it's like, it's like I don't own that. So, so it's, that's hard for me to resonate. So if you're in that situation Right? Then what I would suggest is give, your permit, give yourself permission to take a step back behind Scrum and to go, I know you've been told a story that says if you do Scrum perfect, then you will get these perfect outcomes. I'm not getting the perfect outcome, so therefore I'm not doing Scrum right. right? And, and to recognize that there's another variable at play okay. that is as equally as important, if not maybe 100 times more important than whether I do Scrum right. Okay. I, I tell people all the time, like I don't care, like I, I have zero respect. And I know I'm talking to a CST here, but I have zero respect for the rules of Scrum. Zero. Um, because I will violate them in a moment if I need to. Yeah, I would too. But but, but I, you have to know um, when to violate them, well, and not just right. violate. So, so like, so like if you guys Google my my three things talk, right? And and or you know, listen to anything I've talked about in the last, you know, five, six years. I always get the team's backlogs working custom software. Right. That is the only thing that I care about. Can I form a team? Can I build a backlog? Can I produce something of value? How I enable that with process is totally up to, to the, the local organization or the local team or whatever. Yeah. Don't care. Don't care at all about whether you have a scrum master, a product owner, Doing a daily stand-up meeting. I don't care about what techniques you use for retrospective. I don't care what tools you see, use. See, to
1: me, this is the post-agile thing. Like this is, I mean, this is what my hope is that it would involve. <laughs> in okay.
0: So if what we're saying in post-agile is post-dogmatic application of Scrum, well then Or, or any I'm, of the practices. I'm hundred percent in agreement that we should be post-dogmatic application of Scrum, regardless of context. That just doesn't roll off the tongue. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, nothing. N- not much that I say. Like the three things. Is like <laughs> what, the, what's what? Where are we now? We're in the
1: post dogmatic application of Scrum phase. Of
0: well, in the early stages, I like to say like what we really do is team based, iterative and incremental delivery, rolling wave planning, progressive elaboration, within the context of a rational that's program. Worse. So, an acronym, to, man. How do you describe that? You know. All right. You well, just get, you have to just get really practical with stuff like that.
1: Yeah, let's totally abandon that now. Can we? Okay, do, cool. We have two questions. From the audience, and one I think is going to be short, and the other one might be longer. So I'm going to okay. ask the short one first. Um, and I don't know who this came from, but have you tried deploying Scrum in a mixed union slash non-union environment? How would you do that when some team members have external constraints? So I guess maybe if you haven't done union or non-union, yeah, what about everyone... internal
0: and external consulting groups.
1: So okay, so
0: this is this is how I think about it, right? So so again, I'm I'm going to go back to like fundamentals, right? Okay. I, I almost like I almost like I had an idea that I almost like wanted to call maybe this series like first principles. Because like when I was listening okay. to all the questions that you that you suggested, like it's like they're almost always impossible to answer unless you go back to first principles.
1: Okay. And so
0: so like the first principle to try to answer this this union, non union external constraints, that kind of a thing, is is I go back to as you might expect, teams, backlogs, working tests, and software. So at any given team of people, right? um, We want them to be as complete as possible because we want them to be able to communicate a capacity indicator, right? A lot of times that's velocity, right? But we need some sort of um, ability to measure the delivery throughput of the team, whatever we're gonna use to measure that. So the team needs to have a delivery throughput. Sure. Okay. The the backlog that the team, operates off of is is the demand side of the equation so we have the capacity side of the equation we have the demand side of the equation okay. so what I want to do is I want to get the capacity side of the equation as stable as possible right so when I talk about complete cross functional teams no dependencies right all that kind of stuff that like, that's that, that's the technique that you use to get the the capacity side stable and then you've got to stabilize the demand side and so to try to to try to to um, to, to answer the question in as generic a way as you can, what I would probably do is I'd probably put the product owner, the people that represent the external constraints, the, the unionized environment, right? I'd probably put them into the demand side. Okay. Of the equation. And, and you, normally what happens is we create some sort of construct that's like, we call like a product owner team or something that operates sure. at the, the, the program level, um, usually operates in a Kanban type system, collaborative, cross-functional, that is doing um, portfolio alignment at the top and doing uh, demand to capacity rationalization on the bottom. Okay, okay. so a, a, a team of people that can come together and that can make decisions about what work is going to be fed to the team. Okay. Now, if they're feeding to multiple Scrum teams, right, then their job is to feed the, the demand into the basically the capacity containers represented by the Scrum teams. Okay. Okay. So you've got to you've got to establish the ability to measure throughput at the execution level. And then you've got to establish the ability to throttle demand okay. um, to that throughput and that capacity at the execution level. And one if I wanted to anticipate a question, I'd say, well, like, well, what if the people that are doing demand management can't agree as to what's important? Because what tends to happen is if, if demand management can't agree, yeah. then, then the teams are forced to rationalize that. Okay. Right? So they make trade-offs based on who's screaming the loudest or you know, who, what's going to release the most pressure. Sure. What that has is that has the net effect of destabilizing the capacity or the throughput, right? Because, because delivery now becomes erratic. Okay. So, so you have delivery, right? The capacity side. And then you have demand management, which is how do I rationalize strategy to execution through decomposition and managing bottlenecks and increasing flow, right? all that kind of a thing. Right. And if the people in the middle can't agree, then there has to be something that they are subordinate to. And the subordination layer there is to the portfolio. And so the portfolio has to establish what happens in the presence of constrained resources when I don't have infinite capacity to deliver some and I have to make trade-offs to maximize economic outcomes, Right. I have to have something that gives me guidance on how to do that. Okay. Now, the question might be, well, my executives can't agree. They all fight with each other, right? All this stuff, right? Well, what then the we're, end of the getting, world. we're getting into the impossible problem. Like, it has to be there, right? Somebody in charge. It, I mean, it would be yeah. like basically you being at home with your wife and daughter and you, know, you have you know, $1,000 a month to go to the grocery store and everybody's demanding $750 worth of food. Right? Right. There's just not $2,500, $2,250. okay
1: but I do think it's, it's not important enough. to point out they that you have to make trade-offs. Just because it's impossible. I mean, I, I get this. It doesn't mean that the companies or the people in the companies aren't demanding it anyway. Like, I know you've only got three people. Make them work 150 hours a day. We can't do that. Do it anyway. But this is OK. So
0: so it's stupidity,
1: but it's all over the place.
0: Yeah. But well so but here's the thing, right? So you have two choices. There's so what I would suggest is that there is no rational answer to the question. Yeah. Okay. So the only thing so now what you're basically saying is in the presence of no rational solution, what do I do every day?
1: Yes, and I'm only kicking that question at you because I got that question.
0: But I mean, to the to the twelve people that are that are participating. Uh, Twelve thousand. Okay, yeah. So ultimately, once we get past twelve
1: thousand, for those of you watching, it there's twelve thousand people in the podcast. Right. So
0: here's the interesting (laughs) thing. Right. So so if you truly have no influence over the environment and these and you can't actually solve it. Yeah. You, you do the best you can at the local yeah. level and you be honest and transparent. You communicate the impact of these decisions and you, you put some stuff around it so you can at least sleep at night. Maybe you know a couple of. Doing that, you can always go someplace else to work. Couple permanent so workers feel,
1: in a bag, take a hit off of that in the morning might help too. So,
0: so here's the interesting thing, right? So I don't, I don't live in the world of impossible questions, right? So if you go back and you look at like the transformation talk that um, I think we have a, a complete copy. We don't have the recording from 2018, but we've got a subsequent thing that I think I did. Where was I at? I think I did in Austin. Um, and we've got a paper around it that you can download, right? There are ways of changing this right within companies. And, and so like, I just believe anything is possible to change. If you get the right level of access, you build the right level of trust, you have the right story, right? So you've got to go tell a bigger story because like sitting here powerless at the bottom of the organization going, um, you know, woe is me, every problem's not my own, I can't influence anything, I just have to work within the, the crap ecosystem that I've got, how do I survive that? Right. Well, the answer is, is you hunker down, do the best you can and just don't expect anything, right? But that's a crap way of like trying to figure out how to, how to you know, that's not the problem I wanna solve. The right. problem but- I wanna solve is how do you have a conversation to actually fix the ecosystem so this stuff will actually work?
1: I think one of the things, I was trying to find a picture of the responsibility process to hold it up at the camera, but I'm giving up. Yeah. um One of the things I think is important, and I want to go to Derwin's question, Darwin's Derwin's question, because Darwin's question, because I promise we do it, is... Is that what you wanted? That's what I did. Yeah, that's what I wanted. That's Christopher Avery right there. Um, you said, I, I don't live in the world of impossible problems, and mm-hmm. I don't feel like I live in that world either, but that's because I believe both of us at some point made a conscious choice. You know yeah. what? I'm not going to do that anymore, but there are, i run across so many people at conferences and in classes who are still in the impossible world and don't even understand that they have the ability to be like, you know what? Screw that. That's stupid. It's not possible. Um, yeah.
0: Well, they don't feel like they have that power yet. And, and that's- Maybe part of the problem, Dave, is that we've been, we've been you know, talking about this idea of bottom up yeah. Uh, agile implementation like if i'm just if i just get agile then that's going to create success and that success is going to propagate success and right all those kind of things you know one of the things that i strongly encourage people to do right is is i as i ask people all the time if you had if if you can answer this question if you had total agency within your organization to do whatever you wanted to do you could get executive support culture could change right you could change anything in the ecosystem what would you go do right and I would suggest that most people don't have a clean answer. Yeah. To, they can sense the problem they want to solve. They kind of understand thematically the space they want to solve it in, but they don't have a hypothesis on what they actually want to go change. They don't know what their ask is. Right. They just want, right? they don't have to ask is. So if I'm, and, and I get that all the time, right? So leading agile is about 75, 80 people now. We're growing. And, you know, somebody will show up to me and I go, well, I have this nebulous sense of a problem. And I have this kind of quasi understanding of the space that, which I want to solve it in, Right, Mike, I want you to go figure it out for me and invest a whole bunch of money and go hire people to go do this. Yes. I'm, not, I'm not going to, right? I'm not going to, right? So, so what, what we're trying to empower people to do in this message is develop a point of view about what you want to change, create a hypothesis for the economic impact that that change is going to have. Yeah. And then go ask somebody for funding to go do something about it, right? But then be prepared to be accountable for is, did that funding actually fix the problem, Yeah, right? Because here's the deal, right? It's like as an executive, we're gonna have a lot of executive conversations. The only way that executives wanna spend money is if, is if they can make a small bet, they, can, they have a clear hypothesis for the, for the value that they're gonna get from it, Right. and then a way to measure that they actually got that value. That is the world that your executive team lives in. They're accountable for the dollars that they spend. And so as employees, right, we can, if we really want to work from a high place of responsibility, rather than point the fingers at everybody else, let's us develop a hypothesis for how we want to spend the organization's money, Yeah. create a an economic, um, uh, conversation about an accountability conversation so once i've spent that money i can go back and prove that prove that these business results happen
1: yeah
0: right okay. that's that's something that, that people could do right but we but what we tend to do is to point at all the broken things around us and say that somebody should fix that for us
1: well all right segue okay. to the last question How
0: are we doing on time we got like wait we,
1: we got time for one more question if you're okay, quick cool. we got eight minutes this is from Derwin Rowland.
0: you really uh, think I'm going to be quick, Dave?
1: No, but that's why I've been trying to send you these text messages to tell you, Mike, we have to do the last I'm, question. I've been typing some funny things in there. Uh, um, yeah. All right. I
0: thought it was pretty funny. All
1: right. For an underperforming team, what is your approach to enhance self-management and self-organization? As the agile coach slash scrum master, is it wise to use the stick or the carrot? which do you prefer? And can, can you give some examples? So should you go and smack that team over the head and tell them you have to be more self-organizing, more self-managing?
0: Would that work? Um, okay, okay. So it, it, first principles, right? It always goes back to the first principles. So, so I, have, I, I approach almost everything from a very high place of responsibility.
1: And you should so, show the picture again. <laughs>
0: Christopher Avery. I, I got I got turned on to Christopher Avery stuff back in 2006 at my first Agile conference. And um, and that responsibility process has absolutely shaped how, a lot of how I think about stuff. Um, but anyway, so if you're going from a place of high responsibility, you think about like, what does a team need to be able to be recapping?
1: No, that's the remodeling upstairs. I'm going to mute my oh, microphone. Yeah, you
0: mute yourself. I thought you were like getting super impatient with me.
1: No, no, no. I'm gonna I'm gonna put the link for Chris. Hurry up, Mike! Hurry up.
0: No, no, no. It's the, so um. No, yes, yeah, no, so no, so no. here's the deal. So if you're gonna if you're gonna come from a place of high responsibility, you have to ask yourself, what does the team need to be self organizing and self managing, self directed, right? More generally. Right, and what I would suggest is that I'm have, I have a broken record here, right? So nobody's going to come back because Mike only talks about the three things. Um, if that team doesn't it's have, because ever- we haven't
1: talked about the compass yet.
0: Well, it's true, right? yeah. So everything and everyone necessary to be able to deliver an in increment, right? One of the things that I talk about is the idea of the ability to be held accountable, right? So, so if that team is indeed powerless to deliver. What it is in their backlog, then, or they have to go and negotiate um, the the management of the external dependencies. Yeah, it's going to be very difficult for that team to get to a place where they can commit coming out of a sprint planning meeting and deliver in a demo and retrospective. Yeah. Okay, it's going to be really difficult. So the first thing I ask myself is: is am I doing anything systematically? to to undermine the team's ability to deliver. So the first thing I wanna do coming at this from a high responsibility place is get the team everything necessary. So can, okay. can I, can I yeah, ask sure. one question? Here? So Not you sure. said,
1: um, am I doing anything to undermine it? I kinda wanna counter that with, am I do anything
0: to support, doing anything to support it? Yeah, sure. Well, I think about from the organization's point of view. So as an organization, So like when I have an employee that I believe is underperforming, like the first thing that I ask myself is, am I giving that person everything they need to be successful?
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Um, Am I unnecessarily creating ambiguity in their job function? Right. Are they getting competing um, direction from me and Dennis? Yeah. Right. Whatever. Right. So there's, there's things that I can do that can um, that, yeah, it's awful. Um, there's things that I can do to create um, the, the thing for that person to, to be most successful. And then once I believe that I've reasonably given them everything that they need to be successful, then what I have to do is I have to evaluate, are they doing what they need to do to be successful? And then if they're doing everything they need to do to be successful and we're still not getting the right outcomes then we might not have a good fit. So, so within the context of that question, Right. So first of all, I want to make sure that I'm giving that team everything that they need to be successful within reason. And then are they are is there anything that I can do to support them from a skills development perspective to to work within that context to be more collaborative, self organizing, right, all that kind of stuff. And then once I've done that, can that team get the results? What I generally find is that when a team won't self-organize, they won't collaborate, like there's usually, usually some sort of external factor that is, that is, that is creating an incentive for them not to behave that way. So what I wanna do is I wanna make sure they're operating in an ecosystem where they are, the, the incentives are aligned, the right. systems are aligned. And then in the presence of that, what I find is that most teams, With with coaching and support, will will begin to behave that way. Take a while, but they'll begin to behave that way. Um, If there's, they start to trust the yeah. Well, yeah, right. Because well, yeah, absolutely, right. And so, so it's not like out of the question that you might have somebody who's incredibly difficult who probably just needs to find something else to do. Maybe go work in a different part of the organization. I don't rule that out. But but again, it's it's like the example that I use a lot is. If I want two sales guys to cooperate in a region, but I have individual sales goals, right? And some of times they're soft, right? So if somebody has been consistently rewarded throughout the years for um, being a hero, right? They've been promoted, given more money, given bonuses, given all kinds of things to be a hero. And now you're asking them to operate as part of a collaborative team where they're not gonna be rewarded that way anymore right that's a that's a tough thing to ask a human person a human being to do right so so what you want to do is you want to say you know you want to get the incentive straight you want to create the right environment for them to be able to behave that way but then you you might find yourself in a situation where that that person is so addicted to being a hero and just doesn't want to operate in a different way that they maybe need to go work in a different part of the organization where they can be a hero you know i don't know right um I mean, it's, it's funny you know, Getting underneath individual human beings like a lot of the things that we're talking about are systems oriented things um, And putting people in the right system, but but at some point in time, it does come down to each individual And getting underneath the the individual motivations or what might be holding somebody back um, will oftentimes take months of working with somebody and you know yeah. Yeah, okay. Cool. cool. So let's put a ball on this, day. Where do you want to... All right. So we got a couple questions we're going
1: to save for next time. Thank you. If you okay. sent those in. Um, if you liked it, let us know. Tim, where can they? Where should they send feedback to?
0: Um, they can respond to uh, me via the email that folks got. If they got the email, they're on our email list. They can um, hit me up. My email is, is tim.zack at leadingagile.com. Um, I'll put it in the chat here, and then if you're on Facebook, you could just uh, continue to comment on this Facebook post, and I'll watch it, and we'll collect that stuff um, you know, from there and, and move it into the next one. Maybe hey, so it'll give and, us some good blog posts, Potter.
1: Yeah, um, and, and time-wise, we need to figure out if it's better to do this in morning or at night, so if anybody has strong feelings about that, let us know too. But guys, thank yeah. you very much. This was, I would say, a pretty good success for a first experiment at this. Absolutely. So, thanks, thanks for coming, guys. Everybody, appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks. Um, thank you all for listening. Mike and Tim, thanks guys. See
0: you guys. Bye Bye-bye. Soon. Bye-bye.